Chapter 9 of Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Charles Sapp. Under Wellington's Command by G. Henty. Chapter 9 Rejoining. The adjutant general returned in two or three minutes. Will you please come this way, Colonel O'Connor? he said as he re entered the room. The commander-in-chief wishes to speak to you. I am glad to see you back, Colonel O'Connor, Lord Wellington said cordially, but in his usual quick, short manner. The last time I saw you was at Salamende. You did well at Talavera, and better still afterwards, when the information I received from you was the only trustworthy news obtained during the campaign, and was simply invaluable. Sir John Craddock did to me no better service than by recognizing your merits, and speaking so strongly to me in your favor that I retained you in command of the corps that you had raised. I should be glad to know that you are again at their head when the campaign reopens, for I know that I can rely implicitly upon you for information. Of course your name has been removed from the list of my staff since you were taken prisoner, but it shall appear in orders tomorrow again. I should be glad if you will dine with me this evening. I wish I had a few more young officers like that, he said to the adjutant general when Terence had bowed and retired. He is full of energy and ready to undertake any wild adventure, and yet he is as prudent and thoughtful as most men double his age. I like his face. He has a right to be proud of the position he has won, but there is not the least nonsense about him, and he evidently has no idea that he has done anything out of the ordinary course. At first sight he looks a mere good-tempered lad, but the lower part of his face is marked with such resolution and firmness that it goes far to explain why he has succeeded. There were but four other officers dining with the commander-in-chief that evening. Lord Wellington asked Terence several questions as to the route the convoy of prisoners had followed, the treatment they had received, and the nature of the roads, and whether the Spanish guerrillas were in force. Terence gave a brief account of the attack that had been made on the French convoy, and the share that he and his fellow prisoners had taken in the affair, at which Lord Wellington's usually impassive face lighted up with a smile. That was a somewhat irregular proceeding, Colonel O'Connor. I'm afraid so, sir, but after their treatment by the Spaniards when in the hospital at Talavera, our men were so furious against them that I believed that they would have fought them, even had I endeavored to hold them back, which indeed, being a prisoner, I do not know that I should have had any authority to do so. And how did you escape from Bayonne? the general asked. Through the good offices of some of the soldiers who had been our escort, sir, they were on duty as a prison guard and being grateful for the help that we had given them in the affair with the guerrillas, they aided me to escape. And how did you manage afterwards? Terrace related very briefly the adventures that he and his companion had had before at last reaching Jersey. On leaving, the adjutant general requested him to call in the morning before starting to rejoin his regiment, as he expressed his intention of doing. The talk was a long and friendly one the adjutant general asking many questions as to the constitution of his corps. There is one thing I should like very much, sir, Terence said after he had finished. It would be a great assistance to me if I had an English officer as adjutant. Do you mean one for each battalion, or one for two? I think that one for both battalions would answer the purpose, sir. It would certainly be of great assistance to me, and take a great many details off my hands. I certainly think that you do need assistance. Is there any one you would specifically wish to be appointed? I should be very glad to have Lieutenant Ryan, who has been with me on my late journey. 
We are old friends, as I was in the Mayo regiment with him. He speaks Portuguese very fairly. Of course, it would be useless for me to have an officer who did not do so. I should certainly prefer him to anyone else. That is easily managed, the officer replied. I will put him in orders today as appointed adjutant to the Minho Portuguese regiment with the acting rank of captain. I will send a note to Lord Beersford, stating the reason for the appointment, for as you and your officers owe your local rank to him, he may feel that he ought to have been specially informed of Ryan's appointment, although your corps is in no way under his orders, but acting with the British Army. I am very much obliged to you indeed, sir. It will be a great comfort to me to have an adjutant, and it will naturally be much more pleasant to have one upon whom I know I can depend absolutely. Indeed, I have been rather in an isolated position so far. The majors of the two battalions naturally associate with their own officers. Consequently, Colonel Harara has been my only intimate friend, and although he is a very good fellow, one longs sometime for the companionship of a brother Englishman. Terence had not told Dick Ryan of his intention to ask for him as his adjutant. When he joined him at the hotel, he saluted him with, Well, Captain Ryan, have you everything ready for the start? I have, General, Dick replied with a grin, or perhaps I ought to say Field Marshal. Not yet, Dickie, not yet and indeed possibly I am premature myself in addressing you as captain. Rather, I should say I have a good many steps to make before I get in the company. Well, Dick, I can tell you that when the orders come out today, you will see your name among them as appointed adjutant to the Minho Portuguese Regiment with acting rank as captain. Hurrah! Ryan shouted. You don't say that you have managed it, old fellow. I am delighted. This is glorious. I am awfully obliged to you. I think, Dick, we will make up our minds not to start until this evening. You know we had arranged to hire a vehicle, and that I should get a horse when I joined. But I think now we may as well buy the horses at once, for of course you will be mounted too. We might pay a little more for them, but we should save the expense of the carriage. That would be better, Dick said. Let us go and get them at once. There must be plenty of horses for sale in a place like this and as we are both flesh of money, I should think that a couple of hours would do it. I hope it will, as I told them at headquarters that I was going to start today. I should not like any of them to run across me here this evening. No doubt the landlord of the hotel can tell us of some man who keeps the sort of animals we want. The salary we shall have no difficulty about. Two hours later, a couple of serviceable horses have been bought, with saddles, bridles, holsters, and valises. In the last named, were packed necessaries for the journey, and each provided himself with a brace of double-barrel pistols. The rest of the effects were packed in trunks that they had bought at Jersey, and were handed over to a Portuguese firm of carriers to be sent out to the regiment. At two o'clock they mounted and rode for Sobral. The next day they rode to Santaram, and on the following evening to Abrantes. They here learned that their corps was in camp, with two other Portuguese regiments, four miles higher up the river. As it was dark when they arrived at Abrantes, they agreed to sleep there and go on the next morning, as Terence wished to report himself to General Hill, to whose division the regiment was attached, until operations should commence in the spring. They were put up at an inn, and having eaten a meal, walked out into the town, which was full of British soldiers. They were not long before they found the café that was set apart for the use of officers, and on entering, Terence at once joined a party there, belonging to a regiment with all of whose officers he was acquainted as they had been encamped next to the Mayo Fusiliers during the long months preceding the advance up the Valley of the Tagus. Ryan was, of course, equally known to them, and the three officers rose, 
with an exclamation of surprise as the newcomers walked up to the table. Why, O'Connor, how in the world did you get here? How are you, Ryan? I thought that you were both prisoners. So we were, Terence said. But as you see, we gave them the slip, and here we are. They drew up chairs to the little table. You may consider yourself lucky in your regiment being on the river, O'Connor. You'll be much better off than Ryan will be at Porto Alegre. I am seconded, Ryan said, and have been appointed O'Connor's adjutant with a temporary rank of captain. I congratulate you. The chances are you will have a much better time of it than if you were with your own regiment. I don't mean now, but when the campaign begins in the spring. O'Connor always seems to be in the thick of it, while our division may remain here while the fighting is going on somewhere else. Besides, he always manages to dine a good deal better than we do. His fellows, being all Portuguese, are able to get supplies when the peasants are all ready to take their oath that they have not so much as a loaf of bread or a fallow in their village. How will you manage to get on with them, Ryan, without speaking their language? Oh, I remember, you were grinding up Portuguese all the spring, so I suppose you could get on pretty well now. Yes, O'Connor promised me that he would ask for me as soon as I could speak the language, so I stuck at it hard, and now you see I have got my reward. I can tell you that the troops here are a good deal better off than they are elsewhere. There is a fearful want of land carriage, but we get our supplies up by boats. That is why the Portuguese regiments are encamped on the river. Well, how did you get away from the French? It is curious that when I saw Grady last, which was a fortnight ago, when he came in to get a conveyance to take over sundry cases of whiskey that had come up the river for the use of his mess, he said, I expect that O'Connor and Dick Ryan will turn up here before the spring. I'm sure they will, if they have got together. It is too long a story to tell here, Ryan said. It is full of hairbreadth escapes, dangers by sea and land, and ends up with a naval battle. The officers laughed. Well, will you come to our quarters? One of them said. We have got some decent wine and some really good cigars, which came up from Lisbon last week and there are lots of our fellows who will be glad to see you. They accordingly adjourned to a large building where the officers of the regiment were quartered, and in the apartment that had been turned into a mess room, they found a dozen officers, all of whom were known both to Terence and Ryan. After many questions were asked and answered on both sides, Ryan was requested to tell the story of their adventures after being taken prisoners. He told it in an exaggerated style that elicited roars of laughter, making the most of what he called the battle of the shirt sleeves with the guerrillas, exaggerating the dangers of his escape and the horrors of their imprisonment for a week among the sails and nets. O'Connor, he said, has hardly got back a sense of smell yet. The stink of tar mixed with fishy odors will be vivid in my remembrance for the rest of my life. And when he at last finished, one of them said, And now, how much of all this is true, Ryan? Every fact is just as I have told it he replied gravely. You may think that I have exaggerated, for did an Irishman ever tell a story without exaggeration? But I give you my honor that never did one keep nearer to the truth than I have done. I don't say that the fisherman's wife took quite as strong a fancy to me as I have stated, although she could hardly have been insensible to my personal advantages. But really, otherwise, I don't know that I diverged far from the narrow path of truth. I tell you, those two days that we were running before that gale was a thing I never wished to go through again. And you really tied out the mayor of Granville, Ryan? We did so, Dickie said. 
and a miserable arch at the poor little fat man looked as he sat in his chair tossed up like a fowl. And now about the sea fight, Ryan. Every word was as it happened. O'Connor and I turned gunners, and very decent shots we made, too. And a proof of it was that, if we would have taken it, I believe the captain of the schooner would have given us half the booty found in the lugger's hold. But we were very modest and self-denying, and contented ourselves with a third each of the cash found in the captain's cabin, which we could not have refused if we wanted to. The captain made such a point of it. It came to nearly three hundred pounds apiece, and mighty useful it was, for we had, of course, to get new uniforms and rigs out, and horses and saddlery at Lisbon. I don't know what I should have done without it, for my family's finances would not have stood my drawing upon them, and another mortgage would have ruined them entirely. Well, certainly, that is a substantial proof of the truth of that incident in your story. But I think that, rather than have passed forty-eight hours in that storm, I would have stopped at Bayonne and taken my chance of exchange. Then I'm afraid, Forrester, that you are deficient in martial ardor, Terence said gravely. Our desire to be back fighting the French was so great that no dangers would have appalled us. There was a general laugh. Well, at any rate, you managed uncommonly well, Ryan, whether it was martial ardor that animated you or not, and O'Grady was not far wrong when he said that you and O'Connor would creep out through a mouse's hole if there was no other way of doing it. Now what has been doing since we've been away? Terrace asked. Well, to begin with, all Andalusia has been captured by Salt. Suchet has occupied Valencia. Lerida was captured by him, after a scandalously weak resistance, for there were over nine thousand troops there, and the police surrendered after only one thousand had fallen. Girona, on the other hand, was only captured by Augereau after a resistance as gallant as that of Saragossa. That is the extraordinary thing about these Spaniards. Sometimes they show themselves cowardly beyond expression, at others they fight like heroes. Just at present, even the juntas do not pretend that they have an army capable of driving the French out of the Pyrenees, which is a comfort, for we shall have to rely upon ourselves and not be humbugged by the Spaniards, the worthlessness of whose promises Lord Wellington has ascertained by bitter experience. The Portuguese government is as troublesome and as truthless as that of Spain, but Wellington is able to hold his own with them, and there is no little doubt that the regular regiments will fight and be really a valuable assistance to us, but these have been raised in spite of the constant opposition of the junta at Lisbon. There is no doubt that the next campaign will be a hot one, for now that Spain has been as completely subdued as such vainglorious and excitable people can be subdued, the French marshals are free to join against us, and it is hard to see how, with but thirty thousand men, we are going to defend Portugal against ten times that number of French. Still, I suppose we shall do it somehow. The French have a large army on the other side of the Equator, and there is no doubt that they will besiege Ciudad Rodrigo as soon as winter is over. I doubt whether we shall be strong enough to march to his relief, and I fancy that in the direction of the Coa will be about our limit. At any rate, it is likely to be a stirring campaign. The absurdity of the thing is that we have an army in Sicily which might as well be a Jericho for any use it is. If it joined us here, it would make all the difference in the world, though certainly, till the campaign opens, it would have to be quartered at Lisbon, for it is as much as a wretched transport can do to feed us. Now the truth is, Portugal is a miserably poor country at the best of times, and does not produce enough for the wants of the people. Of course, it has been terribly impoverished by the war. The fields in most places have been untilled, 
and in fact the greater portion of the population as well as our army has to be fed from england altogether wellington must have enough worry to drive an ordinary man out of his mind i never heard of such difficulties as those he has to meet we come to help a people who won't help themselves to fight for people who not only won't fight for themselves but want to dictate how we shall fight instead of being fed by the country we have to feed it and the whole object of the juntas both in spain and portugal seems to be to throw every difficulty in our way to thwart us at every turn the first step towards success would be to hang every member of every junta in every place we occupy a general chorus of hear hear showed how deeply was the feeling excited by the conduct of the portuguese and spanish authorities after chatting until a late hour terence and his companion returned to their inn the next morning terence reported himself to general hill i am glad to see you again colonel o'connor the general said the last time we met was when the surgeons were dressing my wounds on the heights near talavera that was a hot business for a time yes sir and i have to thank you very much for the very kind report you sent in as to the conduct of my regiment they deserved it the general said if they had not come up the time they did we should have had hard work to retake that hill your regiment has been behaving very well since they have been here they like the other portuguese regiments have often been on short rations and their pay is very much in arrear but there has been no grumbling i know herrara would be extremely glad to have you back again in command he has said as much several times when he has been in here he is a good man but not strong enough for his position and i can see that he feels that himself and is conscious that he is not equal to the responsibility i intended to recommend that a british officer should be placed in command of the regiment before the campaign opens in the spring your two majors do their best but they have scarcely sufficient weight for their men know that they were but troopers when the regiment was first raised i shall be glad to be back again sir and i am pleased to say that i have been given an adjutant lieutenant ryan of the mayo fusiliers he has the acting rank of captain he is an old friend of mine and is a good officer he has just effected an escape from bayonne with me yes that will be of great assistance to you the general said with two battalions to command you must want a right-hand man very much i shall be glad if your regiment remains in my division when the campaign reopens but i suppose that as before you will be sent ahead at present it is only attached to my command for convenience of rationing and pay i have inspected it twice and it is by far the finest of the portuguese regiments here but i can see a certain deterioration and i am sure that they want you back badly still it is not your loss only that is telling on them no soldiers like to go without their pay lord wellington himself is always kept short of funds the portuguese ministry declare that they have none of course that is all a lie but true or false it is certain that all the portuguese regiments are greatly in arrears of pay ill provided with clothes and indeed would be starved were it not that they are fed by our commissariat after his interview with the general terence went back to the inn and five minutes later started with ryan to join the regiment the two battalions were engaged in drill when they rode up but as the men recognized terence there was a sudden movement then a tremendous cheer and breaking their ranks they ran towards him waving their shakos and shouting loudly while herrara bull and mcwitty galloped up to shake him by the hand this is not a very military proceeding terence laughed but i cannot help being gratified he held up his hands for silence form the men into a hollow square he said to the majors in a very short time the order was carried out and terence addressed them 
My men, he said, I am deeply gratified by your hearty reception, and I can assure you that I am quite glad to be back in the regiment, as the regiment can be to have me with it again. While I was a prisoner, one of the things that troubled me most was that when I returned, I might find that someone else had been appointed your commander. And I was glad indeed when, upon landing at Lisbon, I heard that this had not been the case, and that I could resume my command of a body of men of whom I am proud, and at no time more proud than when you beat off the attacks of a whole brigade of French cavalry and made good your escape to the mountains. I regret that some of your comrades failed to do this, but the manner in which they did their duty and sacrificed themselves to cover your retreat was worthy of all praise and reflects the highest credit upon the regiment. I have been fortunate enough to make my escape from a French prison in company with my friend here, Captain Ryan, who has, at my request, been appointed by the Commander-in-Chief to be your adjutant. I am sorry to hear that there have been difficulties in the way of rations, and that your pay is in arrears. However, I know well that you are not serving for the sake of pay, but to defend your country from invasion by the French, and that whether you get your pay day by day or receive it in a lump sum later on will make no difference to you, and indeed in some respects you will be better off for the delay, for getting it daily it is spent as soon as obtained whereas if it comes in a lump sum it will be useful to you when you return to your homes after your work is done i am confident that in this regiment at least which has borne itself so well from the day it was raised there will be neither grumbling nor discontent but that you will suffer any hardship or privation that may come in your way as trifling incidents in the great work that you have undertaken to defend at the cost of your lives if need be your country from the invader the regiment is dismissed from drill for the day Loud cheers at once broke from the men, and falling out, they proceeded to their tents. "'Well, tenants, there is no doubt about the enthusiasm of your fellows,' Ryan remarked. "'As you have said, it was hardly military, but it was better. It was real affection. I am sure that men would follow you anywhere.' Ryan shook hands with Harara, Bull, and McWitty, all of whom he knew well from his frequent visits to Terence in the spring. "'I am very glad that you have come to us, Captain Ryan.' bull said a regiment does not seem like a regiment without an adjutant and it will take a lot of work off the colonel's hands i wish there could have been one for each battalion how has the regiment been going on bull nothing much to grumble about sir but i must say that it has been more slack than it was we have done our best but we have missed you terribly and the men don't seem to take quite as much pains with their drill as they used to when you were in command However, that will be all right now that you have come back again. I have always found that when the battalion was not working well, the men have pulled themselves together at once when I said, This won't do, lads. The colonel will be grievously disappointed when he comes back again if he finds that you have lost your smartness. It was as much as we could do to hold them in hand when they saw you surrounded by the French. They would have rushed back again to a man if we would have let them. I own I felt it hard myself to be marching away and leaving you behind. In a few minutes, a couple of tents were erected by the side of that of Harara. While these were being got ready for occupation, Terence and Ryan, with the two majors, entered that of Harara, and the latter produced two or three bottles of wine from his private store, and a box of cigars. So for some time they sat chatting, Terence giving an outline of the events that had happened since he had been away from the regiment. He and Ryan had ordered half a dozen small casks of wine and two cases of whiskey to be sent up with their trunks by water, and now asked regarding the rations of the men. 
They get their bread regularly, Herrera said. They have put up some large bakeries at Abrantes, and as the flour is brought up in boats, there is no difficulty that way. They get their meat pretty regularly, and their wine always. There is no ground of complaint, whatever, as to the rations here, though from what I hear, it is very different at the stations where everything has to be taken up by wagons or mules. The difficulty is with the uniforms. Not one has been served out, and it is really difficult to get the men to look smart when many of them are dressed almost in rags. It is still worse in the manner of boots. A great many of them were badly cut when we were in the mountains, and especially in the rough march we had over the hills after you left us. The men themselves would greatly prefer sandals to boots, being more accustomed to them, and could certainly march farther in them than in stiff English boots. But of course, it would be of no use sending in any requisition for them. I don't see why they should not wear sandals, Terence said, at any rate, until there is an issue of boots. I suppose the men can make them themselves. In most cases, no doubt they could. At any rate, those who could would make them for the others. Of course, they will all have to wear them of one color, but as most of the cattle are black, there would be no difficulty about that. I have no doubt that we could get any number of hides at a nominal price from the commissariat. At any rate, I will see about it. I suppose they are made a good deal like Indian moccasins. I noticed that many of the Spanish troops wore them, but I did not examine them particularly. They are very easily made, Herrara said. You put your foot on a piece of hide at the right size. It is drawn right over the foot and laced. Another thickness of hide is sewn at the bottom to form the sole. And there it is. Of course, for work in the hills, it might be well to use a double thickness of hide for the sole. The upper part is made of the thinnest portion of the hide, and if grease is rubbed well inside so as to soften the leather as much as possible, it makes the most comfortable footgear possible. Well, we will try it anyhow, Terence said. It mayn't look so soldierly, but at any rate, it would look as well as boots with the toes out, and if any general inspects us and objects to them, we can say that we shall be perfectly ready to give them up, as soon as boots are issued to us. But by using all black hides, I really do not think that it will look bad, and there would certainly be the advantage that, for a night attack, the tread would be much more noiseless than that of a heavy boot. I really like the idea very much. The best plan will be to pick out two or three score men who are shoemakers by trade, and pay them a trifle for the making of each pair. In that way, we could get much greater uniformity than were each man to make his own. As to the clothes, I don't see that anything can be done about it, beyond getting a supply of needles and thread, and seeing that every hole is mended as well as possible. I dare say new uniforms will be served out before the spring. It does not matter much in camp, and I suppose we are no worse than the other Portuguese regiments. The next week was spent in steady drill, and by the end of that time, the exercises were all done as smartly as before. Terence had already tried the experiment of sandals. The commissariat at Abrantes was glad enough to supply hides at a nominal price. He began by taking a dozen. These were first handed to a number of men relieved from other duties who, after scraping the underside, rubbed them with fat and kneaded them until they were perfectly soft and pliable. The shoemakers then took them in hand, and after a few samples of various shades were tried, one was fixed upon, in which the sandal was bound to the foot by straps of the same material, with a double thickness of sole. Terence tried these himself, and found them extremely comfortable for walking, and gave orders that one company should be entirely provided with them. As to appearance, they were vastly superior to the cracked and bulged boots the men were wearing. After a week of sharp drill, Terence was satisfied, 
and proposed to Ryan that they should now ride over to Porto Legre and pay a visit to their friends of the Fusiliers, and accordingly the next day they went over. They were most heartily received. Sure, Terence, I knew well enough that you and Dickie Ryan would be back here before long, and so you've taken him from us. Well, it is a relief to the regiment, and I only hope that now he is an adjutant he will learn manners and behave with a little more discretion than he has ever shown before. How you could have saddled yourself with such a harebrained lad is more than I can imagine. That is all very well, O'Grady, Ryan laughed, but it is a question of the pot calling the kettle black. Only in this case, the pot is a good deal blacker than the kettle. There may be some excuse for a subaltern like me, but none for a war-scarred veteran like yourself. Dick will do very well, O'Grady, Terence said. I can tell you he sits in his tent and does his office work as steadily as if he had been at it all his life. And if you had seen him drilling a battalion, you would be delighted. It is just jealousy that makes you run him down, O'Grady. You were too lazy to learn Portuguese yourself. Is it lazy you say I am, Terence? There is no more active officer in the regiment and you know it. As for the heathen language, it's not fit for an honest tongue. They ought to have sent over a supply of grammars and dictionaries and taught the whole nation to speak English. When did you get back? A week ago, but we have been too busy drilling the regiment to come over before. How are you getting on here, Colonel? We are not getting on at all, O'Connor. It is worse than stationary we are. They ought to put on double the number of carts they allow us. Half the time we are short on rations, except wine which, thank heaven, the commissariat can buy in the country. It is evil times that we have fallen upon, and how we shall do when the snow begins to fall heavily is more than I can tell you. At any rate, Colonel, from what I hear, you are a good deal better off than the division at Guarda, for you are but a day's march from the river. The carts take two days over it, the Colonel said, and then bring next to nothing for the poor bays that draw them are half-starved, and as much as they could do to crawl along. They might just as well keep the whole division of the Brontes instead of sticking half of them out here, just as if the French were going to attack us now. There is the luncheon bugle. After we have done, you may tell us how you and Ryan got out of the hands of the French, for I suppose you were not exchanged. End of chapter 9 Recording by Charles Sapp